You know, I come to church almost every service, and I look forward to fellowship with the saints. I look forward to every song that's sung. I look forward to every sermon or every lesson that is given at this church. But I'm going to tell you something right now. There's another time of service that I look just as much forward to, and that's Brother Bobby when he prays over the Word. Yeah. Amen? That's just, I mean, I sit and I listen to every word that he says, and uh, you can tell that it just comes from the heart. It's yeah. just an important part of service uh, as anything else. I appreciate his life. Amen? Yeah. He lives a committed life. Yeah. No doubt about that. You can't pray like that. Unless you're committed. Amen. That's the title of my lesson today, or tonight, or sermon, whatever you want to call it. Carolyn gets on to me when I call it a lesson, or that, uh, you know what, well, I'm not really a preacher. Uh, I haven't been called to preach, but uh, sometimes it might sound like it. Amen. But the title of the lesson today, or the message, is Counting the Cost of Commitment. Those who follow Christ must be willing, must be willing to give up everything for his sake. Let me read that verse again for you. So likewise, whoever of you do not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. What an important message that this is to the church of the living God today. Especially when we look around and we see the shape and the status of some Christian churches when we see how the message of the gospel has been watered down and in some places totally eliminated. I've heard it said uh, more than one time, well, we just don't preach uh, a bloody message. We just don't preach the message of the cross. Then why preach? Why preach? Why even come to church? The gospel is still the power of God until salvation. Did you know this? That that is the only time in the word of God that the power of God is attributed to something. Right. When we read scripture, we read about creation. And we read about uh, miracles. And we know that it's the power of God that performed them. We know that it's the power of God that caused that to happen. But only once in scripture do we read where it says... It is the power of God unto salvation. The power of our Lord, the power of God is only attributed to one thing, and that is the gospel. And we should never be ashamed of the gospel. Hallelujah. We should never be ashamed, amen, to lift up our hands and to live a life that is honorable to the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The gospel is worth being committed to. Two, amen. There's a lot of things it ain't worth the time and effort to be committed to. Sometimes I work in my yard and I say, why in the world am I so committed to this yard? I put so much and devote so much time and everything. It looks okay. It looks good. But that's about it. But not with the gospel. Amen. There's reward when you commit yourself to the gospel. Amen. There's life when you commit yourself to the gospel. There is abundance when you commit yourself to to the gospel. Amen. Now when we read the script, keep your, uh, keep your finger there in that chapter, Luke 14, because we're going to stay in that chapter, in verses 25 through 35. So I just picked that one verse to sort of start things off here. 
But there's a theme throughout this. Uh, commitment is a theme. But there's one phrase that I really want you to try to pick up on. It's mentioned three times in just these 10 or 11 verses. And I want you to see if you pick up on that. The message that Christ is trying to tell us in Scripture. There's this timeless hymn called, I Surrender All. The verses go like this. All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him in His presence daily live. Listen to this next verse. All to Jesus I surrender. Humbly at His feet I bow. Worldly pleasures all forsaken. Take me Jesus. Take me now. All to Jesus I surrender. Lord, I give myself to Thee. Fill me with Thy love and power. Let Thy blessing fall on me. Let that be the prayer of each one of us in this house tonight. Let this be our commitment to God. Let this be our, our goal, our objective in life to forsake all worldly pleasure, to forsake the need for material gain, to forsake our, our desire. Now, there's nothing wrong with being blessed. Let me just establish that fact right now. There's nothing wrong with enjoying life. There's no, excuse me, there's nothing wrong with being blessed. There's nothing wrong with having things. But when those things get in front of your commitment to Jesus Christ, it becomes sin. You must put forth the effort to forsake worldly pleasure and sinfulness and surrender yourself to Jesus. After you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, true discipleship is not an entitlement. Just because you get down on your knees and you ask the Lord into your heart, you ask Him to forgive you of, forgive you of your sins, you're not entitled to true discipleship. That comes next. Yes. That comes next. That comes after you're born again. Yes. Because that takes some effort. True discipleship takes effort. It takes you doing something. It takes you being something. Amen. Amen. Discipleship comes at a cost. You know what? Salvation is free. It doesn't cost you anything to be saved. But it costs you to keep it. Yes. Amen. And we must evaluate the cost. The cost of discipleship is commitment and the terms are clear in Scripture. Yes. Now, I bought a car just the other day. I bet I signed my name a hundred times. <laughs> and the last time I refinanced my house, I bet I signed my name 500 times. I had to make a commitment to pay that money back. The bank was loaning me some money. And they wanted to make certain that I understood, that I understood that they wanted their money back. And they owned me a, loaned me a thousand, they want eleven hundred back, just, just to be honest with you. Amen. When Christ saved me, he washed me of my sins, he forgave me, he grafted me into the family of God made me a member of the family of God, he wants something back. Yes. He wants something back. Now, my intention tonight is not to scold you. 
or make you feel any less than a Christian, any less of a Christian. That's not the purpose of this tonight. My purpose is to remind you of the words of our Lord, and we're going to come across those in just a few minutes, to provide a framework of Scripture that will energize you, that will motivate you to seek the Lord for a measurement of your commitment and devotion to Him. I could ask any one of you this question, and I'd be certain of the answer. Are you committed to your spouse? Are you committed to your children? How many of you in here have children wouldn't die for your children? You would. Let me tell you right now, I would. If I, had, I, I hope that I would. I say that, uh, but I think all of you would. If it was you living or your child living, you're committed to that child. You want them to live. You want them to. And you would do what you had to do to make sure that happened. You committed to your grandchildren, your parents. Are you committed to your job? I know people, they're going to be at their job at 7 o'clock, 6 o'clock, 8 o'clock in the morning. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. They're committed to that job. Life circumstances can get tough. And if careless, devotion to God can get loose. Our, and one of the reasons I'm up here tonight speaking on this subject is because life comes at you fast. Life can get you down. Circumstances can get you down. Circumstances can distract you from your commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're not careful, if you're careless, if you're not mindful of it, if you're not uh, careful to recognize the devil and his uh, sneakiness, the Bible says that he is sneaky. He's like a fox that spoils the vine. He goes after uh, the vine in a subtle kind of way. And if you're not careful, your commitment will become loose. You'll find yourself missing church. You'll find yourself finding reason to be out of church. You'll find yourself uh, finding reason not to pray. Finding a reason not to fast. Finding a reason to, uh, to not be as committed as you once were. Life comes at you fast. And it can get tough. I, you, we as a body of believers, we need to tonight examine, re-examine, reassess our level of commitment. Are we committed to God? Are we committed to the service of our Lord Jesus Christ? Well, what is that commitment? What is it? You talk about commitment, but what, exactly, what, what actually is it? First of all, and no, uh, no specific order here. But I said we need to be committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You say, well, that's not hard. Well, what if you were, uh, what if you were a, uh, a Muslim and you converted to Christianity? What if you were uh, uh, in that particular area of the world and you decided to follow Jesus? Guess what is... Uh, closely behind you a death sentence we must be committed to the lord jesus christ at all cost at, at, at every place in our life committed to jesus christ let me tell you something jesus said this if they hate me they're going to hate me they'll hate you if you don't stand up for christ let me if if uh your 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 standing for christ your commitment to him your, uh, uh, your, your following after him is going to come at a price. We need to be committed to the Holy Bible. Yes. 
We need to be committed to sound doctrine. The Bible says this, in the last day, they will not endure sound doctrine. You preach sound doctrine today, and you can see the claws come out, man. People don't want to hear sound doctrine. They don't want to hear the fact that they've got to live a life that's holy and righteous and separated from this world. Oh, don't tell me that. Just tell me Jesus loves me. Just tell me Jesus cares for me. And he does love you. And he does care for you. He loves you more than anything. He cares for you. He wants to see you blessed. He wants to see you spiritual. But I'm going to tell you this. It comes with a price of commitment. Sound doctrine. Holy living. The church. Today the church for the most part is just second place. People just want to come on Sunday morning. And they just want to go home and the rest of the week do their own thing. Let me tell you something. We still need to be committed to the church. The church still has its place in the life of a Christian. I can remember when I was going to join the church. I was unsure, uncertain about my decision to do that. I was 12 years old. And back then there was a real commitment when you joined the church. You stood before a congregation and you promised that you would do this and you would do that and you would do this and you wouldn't do some other things. And the pastor looked you right square in the face in front of that whole congregation and said, do you promise to do this? Yes, I do. There was a commitment to that promise. Amen. There was a commitment. The church is still important. And there was a lady, uh, I never will forget her name, was Sister Haney. Sister Haney. She tapped me on the shoulder and she said, are you going to join the church tonight? I said, well, Sister Haney, I'm not certain whether I'm ready to do that or not. And she said, well, let me tell you. She says, she says, your life will be like a bucket with a little hole in the bottom of it. And she said, it'll just drip out, drip out, drip out. If you don't commit yourself to the church, commit yourself to a body of believers. And she says, before you know it, it'll be empty. She said, the church It will be there for you. The church will be behind you. The church will will help you when you need help. And uh, before she got done, I jumped up and I jumped in front of the church and joined the church. (laughs) Amen. I believed what she had to say. And I'll tell you right now, I don't regret the church. I don't regret joining the church. I don't regret my decision to be committed to the church. Second, lastly, we need to be committed to beloved one another. Amen. So that's what we're committed to. Jesus, the Bible, doctrine, holy living, the church, loving one another. Living a victorious life and experience in a victorious church depends solely on your commitment and the level of achieving it. Let's listen to what the Lord has to say about conditions of true discipleship in the context of being completely committed to Him. Okay, let's look at verse 25. Let's look at verse 25. The next few scriptures, verses 25 through 35, it talks about commitment. It talks about our obligation to be committed. It talks about counting the cost. And it talks about the requirement of being committed. But let's talk about our obligation of commitment. Verse 25. Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them. All right, I'll stop right there for a second. Jesus is approaching the end of his ministry here. And Jesus continues to attract great crowds of people. Just in this particular instance, what exactly what they came to see and hear, it's not recorded here. We don't know why. We just know that Jesus is at this place 
and there are crowds of people that have come to hear him. But it's quite evident that what they are about to hear, it did not tickle their ears, nor did it increase his popularity. It's quite clear that the Lord is interested in one thing in the next few scriptures that we're about to read. He's not interested in quantity. He's not interested in the number of people that are following him at that point in time. He's not interested in the crowd. So often we get so uh, absorbed with numbers and we get so absorbed with, uh, with, with crowds. Well, we're going to have a great service tonight because the house is full. The choir is going to sing great tonight because the choir is full. Now, you need people. We need people to have church. Amen. We've got to have people. But at this particular point, Christ is not concerned about the number of people. He's concerned about quality. He's concerned about quality. Speaking to the crowd of would-be followers, Jesus begins to tell them the very severe conditions for discipleship. What they're, gonna, what they're about to learn is that, you know what? This ain't a party. That's pretty good English if you ask me. This is not a party. This is not a, a social club. And we're going to read further into that and find out more about that. This is what Jesus says. If any man, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Let me say that again. If any man comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, Brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now, I'm just the mailman. I didn't write the letter. <laughs> Amen. So I've heard some preachers say sometimes when they're preaching, you just missed a good opportunity to shout. <laughs> I know this is not going to be a shouting message, but what I'm hoping and praying is that you take this home with you. Yeah. You take this home with you and you let it resonate in your heart. You let it resonate in your soul. You get the word of God down the next tomorrow and you put it in front of your face and you ask the Lord, Lord, what is my level of commitment? Yeah. Measure me. Hallelujah. Yeah. Amen. Take that plumb line and measure me. Make sure I'm straight. Make sure I'm walking upright. A plumb line is a, is a way to make a, the straightest line between this point and this point. You can't get a straighter line. The Bible says in the Old Testament that God is going to measure Israel with a plumb line. I think it's Hosea that he says that. God is measuring us with the same instrument. He's applied a plumb line to us, and it's called commitment. Amen. Jesus asks nothing less, nothing less than the renunciation of self and relatives. To be a disciple of Jesus Christ, we must denounce, renounce ourselves and relatives. Well, what does that mean? Full loyalty to Jesus is going to require a removal of all hindrances. Amen. A removal of all hindrances. Why? Why does he require that? Love of self love of family and friends and material things often make discipleship difficult. 
and sometimes impossible. Why do you, why do you think the Bible tells us not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers? Why? Because the bad rubs off on the good more than the good rubs off on the bad. And if you have a tie to relatives and family and friends and earthly possessions and yourself, if you have a, 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 uh, uh, a tie, let me just say that again, a, a tie to, to personal gain and, and acquiring things, that is going to be a hindrance to your discipleship to Jesus Christ. The word hate here means to love less. Now we know that the Lord tells us not to hate. That word there is a strong word meant to meant this, that you must love them less. Yeah. You must love them less. Jesus is saying to experience him in fullness. Believers place Jesus above themselves, their aspirations, and family and friends. If we're going to have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, if we're going to be effective Christians for the Lord Jesus Christ, if we're going to be examples of the gospel. We have to make certain that the Lord understands this, that the world understands this, that I love Jesus more than anything else. I love Jesus more than my wife, and my wife knows that. My kids know that I love Jesus Christ more than I love them. My grandchildren, they know that I'm going to serve God before I'm going to please them. They know that. My job knows that I'm going to serve God regardless of what they expect me to do. I had a, a man one time ask me to go to a meeting and lie for him. I said, that's not going to happen. I'm not going to do that. Go ahead and fire me now because that's not going to happen. I'm not going to lie for you. They need to know, this world needs to know where your true love lies. Amen. People around you need to know your commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. But that doesn't come without reward. Look at Mark chapter 10, verse 29. And Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, There is no man that have left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake and the gospels. But he shall receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the world to come eternal life so go ahead forsake all others go ahead and and uh, love all of these things left and less and love him ultimately because there's coming a reward one day you're going to stand before god and he's going to ask you this question did you love me above everything what will your answer be Amen. You answer that question. It's easy to say, I love the Lord. It's easy to say that He means everything to me. But how well do you prove it in your daily life? How well do you prove it in your daily life? Let's look at verse 27. You would think that forsaking mother, forsaking father, forsaking brother and sister, forsaking children, Forsaking all personal goals and all aspirations would be enough. But no, no, sir. Let's look at verse 27. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Not only do we have to forsake everything that may hinder us, but we've got to pick up a cross and we've got to bear it. 
The Son of God voluntarily bore a cross of suffering and shame for our salvation. Just as Christ surrendered his life for us, we must voluntarily surrender our life to him. We have to be willing. And sometimes it's not easy to crush this, this, uh, this human desire. It's not easy to crush this flesh. But we have to let him know that he is above all other things. We has to know that we recognize him as the one who voluntarily gave his life for me. And we have to let him know that God... I voluntarily give my life to you. If he gave such a sacrifice and paid such a price, who are we to think that we're going to get off any easier? Right. Amen? Amen? No, we're not going to have to hang on a cross. We might. You never know. But it won't be the cross of Calvary. We only needed one of those. And that happened a little over 2,000 years ago. But we have to be at the place where we voluntarily surrender our life, it's going to cost us our life. Not literally, but everything that we say, everything that we do, everything that matters to us has to be secondary while he becomes paramount and he becomes primary. The willingness to do as Christ would have us to do rather than what we might personally prefer to do is not an option. If you want to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, True commitment is not optional. You must comply. Amen. It's like the Borg on Star Trek. Resistance is futile. Amen. You can resist the scripture if you want to. You can resist this, this call to discipleship if you want to. But if you want to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ, you must be totally committed to the point where it's this, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. Lord, not my objectives, but your objectives. Not what I want to do, but what you want to do through me. If you don't, you cannot be his disciple. Let's look at verse 28. Verses 28 through 32, Jesus uses two parables. To further emphasize the cost involved in Christian life and service. The first parable illustrates one of constructive work. The second parable illustrates one uh, something of conflict. Let's look at verse 28 through 30. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost. Whether he has enough to finish it. Lest after he's laid the foundation and is not able to finish... All who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. This man began to build, but he wasn't able to finish. Now, I'm not a builder. I can't build anything. Every nail I hit goes this way. I have to really work at that. I'm just not, I'm just not a handyman. But what I do do well, and uh, I've sort of patting myself on the back, but uh, uh, my employers think I do it well. I'm a project manager. I manage projects. I've managed some really big projects before. So I understand that I am not going into any project, first of all, without a budget. I need to spend some money, and I need to make sure that there's enough money to make sure this project happens. I'm not going into that project without a project plan or a timeline or a team to help me get it done. 
I'm not going into that project without an objective. Here's what, here's what our goal is. Here's what we're trying to accomplish. Jesus will present to his Father a glorious church. Jesus has given the opportunity for us to be co-workers in this great task of building his church. The builder in the parable was not able to finish because he didn't have everything planned out. He didn't count the cost. However, Jesus counted the cost, paid the price, and he will finish the work. Amen. Yes, amen. He's going to build himself a church, and he is going to present it to his Father. Amen. Now, there was a missionary journey. On one of Paul's missionary journeys, uh, he was accompanied by two men by the names of Demas and Aristarchus. Now, the journey started out real well. It was quite successful. And uh, there's a record of that. And when they got to Rome, things began to change. And one of the saddest scriptures in the Bible is this. Paul writes it. He says this. Demas, having loved this present world, has forsaken me. He's forsaken me. He got to Rome and the beautiful buildings. He got to Rome and he saw the Colosseums and the amphitheaters. He got to uh, looking around at the culture and that world and that culture and all those wonderful things that Rome represented began to entice him. You see, when he started out with Paul, he was all excited. But here's what happened. He did not count the cost of commitment. Uh, yeah. He didn't count the cost. And the world allured him. And the world enticed him. And he gave up being enticed by the world. And we're, in no, we're, not, we're not exempt from that very same happening. If we allow the world to allure us, if we allow the world to entice us, we will be drawn away by, uh, into the world if we're not careful. And then there's Aristarchus, one of the one of my favorite men of Scripture. Not mentioned in the Bible that much. But he started out with Paul. And then he, Paul writes a letter. And he says this. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner. My fellow prisoner. You see, Aristarchus, he started out well. And now he's in jail with Paul. Willing. To count the cost. Yeah. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. You see, Aristarchus had the heart and the attitude of Ruth. Whither thou goest, I will go. Yeah, if it leads to revival, Paul, I'll be right there with you. I'll be right there with you taking up the offering. And if it leads us to jail, I'll be right there with you. You can count on me. And if it leads us to the guillotine, I'll go there with you as well. Amen. Because I've counted the cost. And I realize today, Paul, yeah, we're in jail. You're a, we're fellow prisoners. I'm with you all the way. You can count on me. I'm committed because I realize this one thing and this one thing for sure, that for me to die is gain. Hallelujah. Amen. This commitment to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, it's not going to go unrewarded. Yeah, we may have to lay down our life. We may have to do without some, some things that we enjoy or think we might enjoy. We may have to forfeit some things that the world does so that the world sees us as people of God and men and 
and women and children of God. But yeah, it's going to be worth it one day. Amen. It's going to be worth it when we stand before Him. And He says these words unto us, Well done. Well done. How many of you are looking forward to that day, that time, that moment when the Lord Himself looks straight into your eyes and He says, You were committed. You were committed. You were a true disciple. You paid the price. Hallelujah. You were willing to go to jail. You were willing to go to the guillotine if that's what it took. Amen. Welcome. Well done. Well done. Good and faithful servant. Lord, help me to be an Aristarchus. Amen. You know what? Help me to be the brother that will be a fellow prisoner with you. Amen. Let me tell you something. This pastor here, you know what he wants out of you? You know what he wants out of you? Your commitment. Your commitment to this church. Yeah, we can give him offerings. We can bless him with money. We can bless him and Sister Dorothy with gifts. But what they want more than anything is our commitment to this church and the message that this church stands for. And that message is this, that Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. He is the builder. Amen. He knows the resources it takes. Amen. To finish the job. Amen. And that Jesus can change lives. Hallelujah. I wish the world would know what we know. We need to tell the world. I don't understand. People, if they would come to the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they'd be the happiest people on the planet. Amen. Amen? Yeah. I don't know why people reject Christ. I don't understand it. I'm glad one day I decided to follow Him. All right, let's look at verse 31. 32. Or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. Amen. Let me read that again. What king is going to war if he knows he's only got 10,000 soldiers and he's facing an enemy with 20,000? Do you not think he's going to sit down and try to think through that? Do I really want to do this? I'm outnumbered. Or else, while the other is still great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. Now we're in a warfare. The Bible says in Ephesians 6 and 12, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. I cannot emphasize that enough. If you could see, if there was some way, and there's a way through prayer, if, if there, but if, I wish there was a way that I could just, for my own eyes and your eyes, remove oh, what, the scales that are, these, these physical scales, these human scales that keep us from seeing the spiritual world around us, we would be taken back. Right. We would be taken back if we really saw the spiritual warfare that's going on outside of this church, in our government, in our cities, in our towns, in our neighborhoods, we would be surprised at the spiritual warfare. We are in a spiritual battle. Biblical principles and values are being attacked at every front. Listen to what I'm saying here. Satanism 
is on the rise. Atheists proclaim their unbelief louder than ever before. Humanism pollutes our society and has sadly penetrated the church. Well, what is humanism? Human, let, me, let me describe it to you. Put on your seatbelt. Denise don't like it when I say that. She says, you don't need to say that. Well, put on your seatbelt. How many of you have ever heard this? Well, I don't think that's what it means. Well, I really don't believe it that way. I've done, you know, well, I just don't know. You know, I don't think God really meant it that way. Let me tell you something. Let me just make it really simple. And I'm not mocking. I'm not. You know what I'm talking about. I'm not making fun. I'm just trying to be simple here. The fact is this. If we want to experience the, uh, if we want to have the experience of true discipleship, we have to be willing to do when it says do and don't when it says don't. Amen. What are you talking about? Satanism is on the arise. Well, let me tell you this. We live in a society. We live in a country where it appears that our, our government ethos is based on abortion. We, and you say, that, is that a form of Satan? It absolutely is. Uh, in the Old Testament, the, uh, the prophets of Baal, Baal demanded blood. And at the, when Baal and, the, and, and idolatry at its lowest levels, guess what they did? They sacrificed children. They sacrificed children. Let me tell you something. That same devil, that same devil is requiring that same level of blood today. That's why you see this. That's why you see New York legislators giving high fives to one another when they pass a law that says you can kill a baby after it's born. That's why we see abortion uh, 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 being discussed every time we have an election is because that devil is on the arise and that devil is powerful. And we, the only way to overcome that devil is through the power of God. And the only way to have the power of God working in our lives is to be true disciples committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And atheists proclaim their unbelief louder than ever before. I saw a uh, I saw a news uh, uh, broadcast just a couple of months ago where uh, uh, some uh, satanic group was uh, arguing because they wanted to put their statue up in some, in some uh, 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 government square. Well, you had the manger up and you have the Ten Commandments. Well, we want to put our statue up, well, our statue of the devil or some form of the devil. Let me tell you something. If we're truly committed to Christ and we're experiencing true discipleship, we need to have this position. The louder they get, the louder we're going to get. Amen. The louder they, say, the louder they proclaim their uh, ungodly principles and values, the louder we're going to proclaim ours. Yeah. To preserve this gospel experience until Jesus comes, it's going to require the whole armor of God and total commitment to the captain. So i got a question for you. How does a king with 10,000 soldiers fight one with 20,000? 
That's what the scripture says. How does it? What is Jesus trying to tell us here? I'll tell you what I think he's trying to tell us. How does a king with 10,000 fight an army of 20,000? We have to be twice the worth of the soldier in the enemy's army. Jesus saying, you know what? You, you're going to have to be twice as good. You're going to have to be twice as committed. You're going to have to be twice as powerful. Amen. The king's soldier has to be twice as strong, twice as committed as I just said. Okay, I'm about to wrap up here. Amen. Let's look at verse 33. I done read that one time, but I'll read it again. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. All right, do you see a theme here? What phrase have I quoted three times over the course of this scripture? What is it? Cannot be my disciple. You cannot be my disciple. So therefore, know that you know the objective before you. There's a spiritual church to be built and a devil to fight. How do you prepare? You forsake all. There's still a job to be done. There's still a devil to fight. There's still work to be done. And the way to get it done, church, oh, I wish I could. You know, I'm, I'm not just speaking to you, but I'm speaking to me as well. I have room to improve. Brother Hutchins has room to improve. Amen. All of you out there have room to improve. And the, how do we do that? We do that by adhering to this scripture here. We must be willing to forsake all. As a condition of spiritual quality, Luke 14, 34, salt is good, but if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor the dunghill, but men throw it out. And I like what Jesus says here. He who hath an ear, let him hear. He who hath an ear, let him hear. You are the salt of the earth. And without being truly committed, meeting the conditions of commitment, recognizing that commitment is an obligation, counting the cost of that commitment, sometimes it's going to cost you something. Sometimes it's going to cost you a family member. Sometimes it's going to cost you a friend. Sometimes it might even cost you a job. I can remember in the early 80s, I was, uh, Denise and I were, we were married. We had two young kids in diapers. She was not working. I was trying to work while she kept two kids. I was making $6.80 an hour. That's not a lot of money. I had a chance to go to work for Phillips DuPont. That was when the CDs started coming out. There was a plant just a few miles from where I lived. They're going to make CDs. Wow, that's real technology back then. But guess what? And I could have made about $17 an hour. That's a lot when you're making $6.80 and you've got two kids in diapers and on formula. Man, we didn't have nothing. We barely had enough to live by. But you know what? We made it, paid my tithes, gave an offerings, went to church. But I said this, they offered me the job and I said, you know what? I'm not going to take that job. You know why? Because I would have been required to work on Sunday nights. And I said, I don't want it. I'm not going to miss church on Sunday nights 
to make $117 an hour. I'm not going to stay out of church to make $1,000 an hour. I'm not going to do it. Amen? I'm not going to do it because it's important that we count the cost. Amen? I can remember that. It was a hard decision. Did God turn around and bless me immediately after I made that decision? No, he didn't. Did I get a job the next week making a lot of money? No, I didn't. It was years and years before I st- after that, before I, my career took off and I started making a little bit of money. But you know what? You know what? At the end of the day, here's what I did have. Here's what I did have. When I got down on my knees to pray, I could say, Lord, I put you first. When I got down on my knees to pray, I didn't say, Lord, my job was more important than you were. I did what was right. And having that in the bank, having that commitment on your side. Now, I'm not trying to say I'm some super duper whipper whopper. I fail. I do. I I fall short of the glory of God, just like all of you do. But I'll tell you this. You can be committed to God. You can make decisions that prove to those around you that you're committed to God. If salt is exposed to the elements for long periods of time, it will lose its quality and effectiveness. Commitment is a necessary ingredient for a quality Christian. The level of commitment explained in these scriptures is what it's going to take to get us across the finish line. How many of you are looking forward to crossing the finish line? Amen. Amen. How many of you are looking forward to seeing that time? Just just one glimpse of Him in glory will all the toils of life repay. Amen. Amen. Just one glimpse of that city, hallelujah, is going to make the commitment that you had here on this earth toward Him be considered nothing. Just one glimpse of that city I shared a dream, I'm not going to go into it, but I shared a dream with the Sunday school class last Sunday that I had uh, about seeing the city. I thought it was heaven, but when I got close to the city, I, I woke up and I said, well, what did you do that for? Man, I wanted to go inside. Amen. I wanted to see what was inside that city. Hallelujah. I wanted to see there's a finish line and what's going to get us to that finish line is commitment. Let me tell you a quick story here, and then we'll pray. It was the Olympics, 1968, in Mexico City. There was an athlete by the name of John Stewart Aquari. He was a runner, the last and final event of the Olympics, a marathon. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people in the stadium. And one Ethiopian athlete walks in, and people begin to arouse. And they begin to stand to their feet and applaud this Olympian athlete. The marathon starts, and that Ethiopian wins that, uh, that event. But John, we'll call him John because I have trouble pronouncing his last name. But John is last in place. Last. He collapses uh, in last place. You see, Mexico City, the elevation there is much uh, more than the elevation, the altitude in the country that he was from. He was from Tanzania. And he just didn't prepare. He didn't know what to expect 
When you get in those higher altitudes, there's less oxygen, and it's harder to perform uh, uh, those types of, of events. But he's last in place, and he collapses. They run out to help him. He's, he's having trouble breathing. He's collapsed, and he's hurt his legs, and he's hurt his knee. They bandage him up, and they help him to his feet. And they didn't carry him to the finish line. He continues to walk by himself 12 kilometers to the finish line. And when he gets to the finish line, not many people there. Some they've left. The awards have already been given. But here comes John. He's going to walk across the finish line. And when he gets to the finish line, he collapses again and falls across the finish line. A reporter asked him a question. What did you do that for? The event was over. The medals were given out. But you continued to walk to the finish line. And he said this. He said, my country didn't send me to start a race, but they sent me to finish one. Amen. He was committed to finishing the race. Tonight, church, let's all stand if you would, please. Let's stand. It's not how we start the race. We may get bruised and we may get battered, but I'll tell you this. If we can finish the race if we're truly committed unto Him. I want us to take a look at ourselves tonight. I want us to take a look. And as you don't, if you don't mind, let's come down to the front.